Hello and welcome to the Football Throwback Podcast, a series devoted to taking its listeners down memory lane as we discuss iconic football teams of the last 30 years. In our pilot episode, my guests Kieran Fuller and I look back at the incredible World Cup winning France 98 squad and the challenges they faced en route to victory. We are both complete novices to this podcasting game, but I hope that you find our discussion and our approach both engaging and enjoyable. Let the Football Throwback Podcast begin. Hello and welcome to the Football Throwback Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Faraday, and with me today is Kieran Fuller. Hello, Kieran. Good day, Michael Faraday. How are you today, all right? Very well, sir. Very well. Enjoying the collapse in the weather. It's now windy as sin up this way. Oh, good. Yeah, same here. Looking a bit drab and dreary. So hopefully we can bring some cheer to everyone's day. Um, We're here today to talk about the famous team uh, of the France 98 World Cup. And it is indeed the victors of that World Cup. And that's the French national side. So today we're going to be reviewing uh, through the squad. We're going to be looking at the uh, build-up to the the tournament, and we're going to be reviewing their travel through that tournament as well. So we're going to start off by having a bit of a chat about the team itself. So, Kieran, do you want to have a quick discussion with me about how this French side started lining up? What was their general shape, formation, and some of the key figures in their team? Sure. So it looks like a... I'd say it was a diamond kind of midfield that we're looking at here um so the, in the group stage they were kicking off as you'd expect fabian Barthez in goal lilian turam at right back vicente lizarazu left back with desai Laurent blanc at center back that was pretty well settled throughout the tournament uh, and then you've got a midfield of didier deschamps petit jorkaev and zinedine zidane uh, with thierry henry and stefan Givarch, the odd man out i would say uh, in that lineup um, and that was pretty well settled throughout the group stage. A couple of changes here and there. Uh, so for the second game, actually, there were a good few changes um, with Bernard Diomeda coming in. Uh, Alan Bogos, oh, Bogosian, there you go. I know say that one particularly well. And then Christophe Dugarry again. I mean, the French do love a good random striker coming in the side. Uh, and then for the final game, uh, they did make a couple of additional changes. Vincent Candela coming in at the back. Uh, Patrick Vieira getting a start, Robert Perez getting a start, uh, and then Christian Carambo as well, the man with the beautiful hair, and David Trezeguet up front. Uh, so they did use quite a lot of the uh, lot of the squad in that group stage. I think that's something that's really important, and we will delve into is the strength and depth that this French team had. Although some of the players were very young, there was a lot of talent there. Um, so we've we've kind of started at the end and told everyone that they were indeed the victors, but I assume if you're listening to our podcast, you'd know that. But it's important to set a bit of context about this tournament itself. So France, although they were the hosts, they went into this tournament, they were but not anywhere near the favourites for this tournament. There were a lot of good sides in this tournament. Um, should we have a little look through some of the better sides and some of the, the talents that are on display during this, well, what is for me one of the most memorable World Cups? Um, so we can look at some of the other teams involved and some of the players they had. Have you got a particular favourite from the 98 World Cup? I quite like the Argentina team. Not really the, the classic names, maybe, that uh, that a lot of people will remember. But that was a, still a, a good, strong squad 
and again I think they should have done a lot better but then they they were a little bit like that weren't they they never really lived up and they still don't really live up to expectations going into a tournament yeah it's been a long time since Maradona hasn't it but that particular Argentina squad just off the top of my head I can remember Batistuta up front Crespo would have been in that team Simeone Almeida Sensini uh, Ayala uh, Zanetti would have been playing as well a phenomenal right back probably one of my favourite ever footballers with the best hair I've ever seen <laughs> um, I mean that Argentina squad was not light on talent and they also had Ariel Ortega who although definitely didn't fulfil his potential he was at the time one of the most sought after footballers on the planet so that was a very strong Argentina team and you know, they are the side that knocked England out of that World Cup. Mm. And England were a very strong team going into that World Cup as well. Um, just to review some of the players they had on display, they had Shearer and Owen and with Teddy Shering, Sheringham on the bench as well. Um, come that game, Owen didn't start at the start of the tournament. A midfield that had Paul Lintz, David Beckham, Darren Anderton... Um, among many others that were very talented um, and a lot of good players that didn't go to that tournament as well. The likes of Paul Gascoigne was dropped from that squad by Glenn Hoddle. So England were another team who were very strong. Um, if I was to pick a favourite, I'd probably say my favourite team in that World Cup was the Netherlands team um, who played in an even more vibrant orange shirt than normal in that World Cup. And uh, and the goal of the tournament was scored by Dennis Bergkamp, I believe, um, against Argentina. Um, Dennis Bergkamp, Dennis Bergkamp, Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that if you, if you haven't seen that goal, listeners, um, which I'm sure you would have done, but even if you, if, if you have, you, you'll go back and rewatch it because it is one of the greatest moments in football history, a phenomenal goal. And some of but the greatest commentary that, as well. Of course, yeah. Uh, I mean, but that ne- that Netherlands got uh, team was absolutely phenomenal from um, the front line to the back line. They had so much strength and depth. Do you know, it's funny you say about strength and depth in the back line. Winston Bogard was in that squad. Now, for me, that, yeah, that, that, does, uh, that does raise some questions about their defending. Um, but, you know, squad man. He, he covered a lot of positions. Squad man. Didn't didn't get many minutes to my uh, recollection because he had Frank de Boer and Yap Stam ahead of him. I'd hope he was so, nowhere near um, the squad after moving at left back. You'd hope he was nowhere he near. Ever, uh, even stretched off, shall we say? But <laughs> if you look at, I mean, Stam and de Boer are a phenomenal pairing. Um, Arthur Newman at left back, who was playing very well for Reigns at the time. Michael Reisiger. Um, but their midfield is it was phenomenal. You had Edgar Davids, one of the Boer, Wim Young. Clarence Zadorf, um, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, Aaron Winter, Philip Koku, um, and Zenden and Overmars as well. Um, and their front line, I mean, they weren't short of options. Um, we've already mentioned Bergkamp, um, but you reminded me of Hasselbank uh, last week when we spoke. Mm. The like Clivert, who was in phenomenal form. I think his years at Newcastle have somewhat um, tarnished how good a player he actually was. Um, and Van Hooydonk was sat doing very little at the time as well, having gone on strike at Nottingham Forest. But he was a fantastic player and they had Van der Zaar in goal as well. So that Netherlands team, I mean, it's it's one that sticks in my mind. And that they were a fantastic squad going into that tournament. You know, can I say um, as well, I was surprised to see Edwin Van der Sar in goal. But then 
he was quite late thirties when he was at Man United, wasn't he? So he has been around for a long, long time. Yeah, he. I mean, he was part of that phenomenal Ajax team in '95, wasn't he? So, I mean, he he his career started early, and again, it looked like he'd gone off the rails when he um kind of got let go by Juventus and ended up at Fulham. But um, his talent was never in question. I don't think he was a wonderful goalkeeper and incredible signing for Fulham. Did um, I eventually? I mean, I can have nothing but respect for how good he was, and I'm glad that his career eventually was recognised again because I think there was a, a a worry that it might have gone away when he went to Fulham, but he redeemed himself well. Um, now, I've mentioned the Netherlands, Argentina, England, France, um, but there were other teams at this tournament who were very strong, including uh, France, France's final opponents, which is Brazil. Now, to, to give them context, uh, that the that point in time in 1998 they had the best player in the world um in ronaldo and it's not the ronaldo we know today it's it's the the original ronaldo as it were um, everyone knows who and you say ronaldo you have to say cristiano uh, if you want people to know the difference ronaldo is ronaldo well i think so but for younger listeners they they may well not realize just how talented the original Ronaldo was um for me still probably the greatest striker I've ever watched um and he went into this tournament just on fire and the Brazil team that supported him weren't half bad either have you got a few names in that team you you like and can recollect I mean so you go straight to the fullbacks in that team Cafu and Roberto Carlos absolutely unbelievable uh, I mean, it, it, if I'm being honest, this was right at the very start of when I was properly getting into football. So I didn't really know kind of the uh, the players that made the team tick. It was most of the players that really stood out on their own. So Rivaldo, unbelievable player. I loved watching Rivaldo. Um, even Leonardo, actually, I quite enjoyed watching him play. There's, there's very yeah, just something player, funny yeah. about kind of uh, about watching that little fella play. And, and again, I was quite surprised looking back on the squad um, with Dida in goal. But again, at that was that was kind of his era. No, absolutely. Yeah, he was in the squad. I mean, behind Taffarel, who you know, I always yeah. remember for being just awful, um, which is a, it's a little bit harsh. You don't, you know, you're not starting goalkeeper. I, from I personally being think awful. that's very harsh. I think you know he's he, he made a lot of appearances for Brazil and and he played at a very high standard for a very long time. I personally think that Tafarel is an excellent goalkeeper. Um, he may not have had the best defences in front of him, but he was an excellent goalkeeper. Um, but that team had other standouts as well. The captain was Dunga, who was just a phenomenal holding midfielder. Um, centre-back, they had Aldair, probably the best Brazilian centre-back that I can recall. I haven't seen many good ones. Yeah, Lucio I was going to say, Lucio is the one that springs straight to mind. Although... But he he did have a shaky start to his life. But the the team it was a phenomenal side, and Bebeto joined Ronaldo up front, of course, um, and he was a very underrated footballer, very handy um, finisher. But it was a front, but a World Cup which left out Romario. So a, a really it was a tournament of bigger missions from squads between Romario and Gascoigne. Um, and even the French team we're looking at had a few uh, players who would still have been at the peak of their powers that weren't even considered. So it really was quite, quite the tournament. Um, 
And as we've discussed, France had real opposition going into this tournament and they were far from being favourites, which is why we're talking about them today. They are now established as greats, but they had to become great. So talk me through, where did their tournament begin then, Kieran? Where, where, did, they, uh, where did they start off? What was their first game of the tournament? So they won all the group games, beating South Africa first of all. Uh, Christophe Dugary and Issa and goal, and then Thierry Henry right at the very death, uh, making it three. So that one was pretty comfortable. Uh, so that's the Africa team. I mean, for anyone who doesn't know anything about South African football, this was probably the best South African team there ever was. Um, if just to mention some of the players they had, they still had some really established footballers who played it to a high level, the likes of Lucas Radaby, Pierre Issa. Um, Mark Fish played at Premier League level for a long time, Quinton Fortune, Benny McCarthy, Sean Bartlett. All of these players were established Premier League footballers um, for a long time. And they weren't, weren't, they weren't a pushover of a side, but France went out and won 3-0. Um, the home advantage, I'm sure, helped an opening ceremony first game of the tournament. But they, they set their stall out early, didn't they? Pretty comfortable. I mean, having watched back the, uh, the highlights of that, there weren't all that many South Africa chances, which is probably good for Bartes in goal. Um, it was a, a pretty strong start. And then that South Africa team, as you say, good quality right throughout the team. Uh, then held Denmark, who again at the time, they must have been maybe not fancied, but they won the, uh, what year was it they won the Euros? It was 92, wasn't it? So this was their tail end of a very strong Danish generation. Um, probably 96 was their last chance, I would say. they their, their best players are very long in the tooth by 98, but by no means a weak side. Some real talented, both Loundrup brothers were in that team. We'll get on to them. Um, so France started this game. We talked about the shape of the team. You said a diamond and you look at the way they're playing. And um, in, in this game, they had very much a, a diamond shape, but maybe um, it, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because Zidane played very much as the 10, mm. didn't he? And then around him, he had um, Jules Kayef and Henri uh, on the flanks and Gavash up front. So for this game, it, it appears that they went for a more attacking uh, starting eleven Rather than playing the three central midfielders behind Zidane, they've actually gone for a more aggressive um, kind of wing option with more goals in the team. Um, so... They clearly favoured themselves in this particular encounter. And rightly so, when you look at the names. Also, with Didier Deschamps protecting the back four, I think there probably, probably wasn't a great deal to worry about from South Africa. I mean, you've got the legs at fullback of Chiram Elizarazu. You know, it's, it's, in all honesty, looking at that sort of, uh, that sort of a lineup, that sort of a, a team selection, it's not dissimilar to the Liverpool team uh, kind of, of now, is it, really? You've got the fullbacks that are bombing on. Uh, a deadly, I mean, a sort of potent front three. You've got Zidane, Henri and Givash. Um, and then Djorkaev just sort of floating around as well to uh, to make things happen. A little bit of scheming. So it's not difficult to see why that was such a strong team. But then again, saying that, no. saying that they're only one that up until the 77th minute with the own goal. And then Henri putting the gloss yeah. on it. So, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as if South Africa were completely blown away. But again, good side. Though I, it feels very much like it was a boxing match where... Uh... One of the boxers has incredibly long arms <laughs> and uh, it's just holding their yeah. opponent at bay because that that defence um, 
it is not to be understated just how good this France defence was. Barthez, for all of his critics later in his career, was an excellent but erratic keeper. But for one-off saves and for inspiring teams to victory, he, he was an exceptional goalkeeper. And behind a defence of Taram, who could have played anywhere in a back line, um, and was one of the most athletic footballers I can recall. Um, Marcel Desailly, who, again, would have happily been played in midfield for his whole career. He was so good on the ball. Um, Laurent Blanc, Blanc, sorry, who was their secondary keeper, and and Liza Rizou. I mean, that defence, really... They didn't concede many goals in this tournament, and there's a reason for that. Um, and we will look into other games as well. So their victory against South Africa at 3-0 was a fantastic start for them. Um, they then moved into their second game. Um, who else was in their group? Just a reminder. So the other teams, um, so South Africa, as we've spoken about, Denmark and um, Saudi Arabia is the other team I'm looking for here. And it was Saudi Arabia that they played second. Um, and again, a nice, comfortable 4-0 win. But it was helped by Saudi Arabia going down to, uh, down to 10 men in the 19th minute. That clearly would have slowed him down. Yeah. <laughs> but even so, it still took to the 37th minute for Thierry Henry to score the first and then the 68th minute for the second goal from David Trezeguet. So, again, it's not... Uh, again, I think the boxing um, match sort of analogy is probably the right thing to use there. Like, if they'd been pegged back, I'm sure they would have found another gear and they would have gone on and won the game kind of whenever they needed to. Um, but it's still... It was not, you know, not fully blown them away, but then you don't need to in the group stage, do you? No, no, not at all. And and I think that it's fair to say that France would have been very happy with the the order of games uh, to play South um, Africa first and Saudi Arabia second, leaving definitely their hardest tie against Denmark to the final game meant that providing they did what they should do against the two weaker opponents, their last game had far less pressure. And it's also, uh... um, obviously, it do that, but... Good favor yourselves as, as the host. Well, I think pretty comfortably. But this is Zinedine Zidane's less uh, well-publicised red card. Um, start off the yes. first minute. Yes, he used a little bit of edge about Zizou, wasn't there? He wasn't. Uh, he wasn't afraid to leave the foot in a little bit if uh, if he felt someone had overstepped the line. No, he was. He was very much about protecting himself. Um, and if someone did upset him, he was very quick <laughs> to step in and, and step leave on. a foot. Yeah. Here we say. Step on, step in. Yes, indeed. Now, we, we've talked at length about Thierry Henry and, and many things have been written about him. But I think a lot of people forget this stage in his career. Now, we're, we're in the 98 World Cup. Prior to this, he, he'd been playing uh, at Monaco and got his big move to Juventus. And... Um, it's a, a very interesting time for him because at Juventus, he was deemed very much a flop, forced out on the wing um, and never scoring goals for Juventus, really. And it was actually Wenger who took a really big punt on him um, and brought him to Arsenal and said, you're my guy and I'm going to turn you into an elite forward, which he did become. But this tournament is proof that the, the, the talent was there. I mean, we are in the second game and he scored three goals already now. By the end of this game, he'd scored three goals in two games. And looking back at the finishes, an exceptional finisher, even at that really young age. Completely. 
completely just you could see um obviously with the benefit of hindsight um it's very you know very easy for us to see how good he was but surely you're thinking at the time he must have stood out uh, the movement the assuredness of touch um a lovely little dink for the uh, the goal in the first game um don't remember these two particularly but it's just really really good strong finisher with both feet and again I think it is a little bit clouded by hindsight because we knew how he would sort of go on. We knew what he would become. But you could see just from watching the uh, watching the videos, I'd like to think that even I would have spotted um, that a 21-year-old Thierry Henry was pretty handy. Yeah, yeah, quite. Uh, I mean, his finishing in this tournament, if you get the chance, listeners, then please do go back and watch over some of these goals because... They are the startings of the legend we saw develop at Arsenal. Um, and you can see the raw talent was there. It's just, it's not his fault the Juventus used him so ineptly um, and had many other options at that time. Do you time think the problem well. was, though, now, just, just sticking on Thierry Henry just for a moment, do you think the problem at Juventus was that he was kind of caught a little bit between having burst onto the scene at that World Cup? Because I'm sure he wasn't a particularly sort of big name at that point. So he was, he was still playing for Monaco at that time. So he must have been a relatively unknown for a lot of people. Um, and then he burst onto the scene at that World Cup. Do you think there was then the problem of, do you play him on the wing? Is he a number nine? Uh, were the players at Juventus just ahead of him? What do you think the problem was at Juventus? I I think there's a mixture of things. I think that he probably moved a bit too early. He was part of a very good Monaco side who um, did very well in the European Cup that year. Um, and he moved to Juventus. And the expectation on him to be a fantastic player uh, was very high. Um, he joined a Juventus team though that had Del Piero in it, um, who was always going to be the kind of the fans love affair mm. of the time. Um, and, you know, that was a Juventus midfield as well that had Zidane and Deschamps. So their expectation of French players was of a really high standard. So he joined that Juve side. And I think that, a combination of not getting the position he wanted and the difficulties of breaking down Italian defences, which at the time, I mean, we spoke at length last week about the quality of Italian defences um, in the 90s and the Italian league in the 90s. And um, and he, he caught the, the tail end of that, that quality and perhaps had never faced such good, good opposition before, I think. Um, and add into that is a relatively young age and moving to a new country. And you can see why a player would struggle. Um, I mean, I, I just think it's wonderful that he managed to forge an amazing career at Arsenal. Um, and, and kudos to Arsene Wenger for getting the best out of him. But um, but it, it's it's so funny to see the quality player that we saw at this 98 World Cup Um and then you hear the reports from Juventus at the time and you, you wouldn't believe it was the same footballer, um, which goes to show that everyone can be brilliant, but it's all about setting an environment. Um, so, yeah, a, a fascinating one to look at as a player, just and we spent a good 10 minutes talking about the quality of Henri, even at that tender age. But, um, yeah, fantastic player. Now, just getting a little bit back to the games. We're only in the second game of this World Cup for France. And it was a 4-0 um, trouncing of Saudi Arabia, no doubt about it. Now, um, I just want to mention, we talked earlier about the squad depth. Now, 
if we look at the starting lineup against Saudi Arabia, their standard team would have had that that back five we've already discussed of real quality. The midfield generally comprised of Deschamps, um, Petit usually, uh, Jokaya Sedan, and then a combination of Henri or Karamba uh, with Gavash up front. But for this game against Saudi Arabia, the squad they put out, there's some names there that a lot of our fans probably don't know. So do you want to go through some of them? Yes, yeah, so the surprise inclusions there. So you've got, as you said, the back five, then Deschamps, um, who, I mean, again, picks himself, Zidane, who picks himself. But then the other two in midfield, so Bernard Diomeda and Alain Bogossian, um, are the two kind of surprise inclusions there. Uh, so Bogossian at the time was playing in Italy for Sampdoria. Um, I mean, again, not really a player that I know a great deal about. Um, know a little bit more about Bernard Diomeda. Um, obviously, he was at Orcs there at the time, then ended up at Liverpool. So, did he go to Liverpool straight after this World Cup? Yes, he was signed um, to play as our left wing option. Um, and it was very quickly apparent that he wasn't good enough, fit enough, um, had any quality at all uh, to be part of that Liverpool side that was starting to come together with a lot of good youth players um, in that kind of late 90s, early noughties time. Um, he he didn't join straight after this World Cup. I think it was the 2000s, I think. I can't remember exactly, but he really, he's my, we will go on to this part, but he's my shock inclusion for this French squad. Um, <laughs> I, 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 to this day, the fact that he played in the World Cup is incredible. He will have a World Cup medal for the rest of his life. And, I don't know how. It's quite amazing. Borghossian, a very talented, technically gifted footballer. Um, a very kind of Zidane-like, if you will, um, would be the easiest way to describe him. And that's what he went to that tournament as. But the players that came off the bench in this game, they're better than the ones that started, shall we say. Um, so... The other one that's a bit of a surprise surprise starter was uh, Dugarry, who you've already mentioned. Now, a good a good footballer, no doubt, but not a prolific goal scorer, um, and probably started wide in this game with Henri through the centre more, um, and probably interchanging a bit. But another player who is a surprise kind of starter for this French team, but a, a well-known name if you're a Premier League follower, played for Birmingham um, and. Even then, though, I think a lot of people will have forgotten about Christophe Dugarry. He was very good in that Birmingham side. Um, but when you think David Trezeguet is sat on the bench watching Christophe Dugarry, I mean, what, what was he thinking there? Um, probably I'm I'm young and more talented, put me <laughs> on, um, if I'm completely honest. Um, but, you know, Trezeguet did come on in this game and score, of course. Um, but this team, they had... Pires on the bench, who did come on as well, uh, came on for Henri. But to have Pires, Djorkaev and Trezeguet coming off the bench just shows you the quality and also probably the confidence in beating their opposition that this team had. Um, if you do get to watch through these goals, though, um, listeners, the one to watch out for is uh, the fourth goal, which was scored by Lizarazu, And it was my favourite goal of the World Cup. Um, just for demonstrating fantastic interplay and passing. It really was an exceptional goal. Pires heavily involved and Djorkaev as well. Um, a wonderful goal. Um, 
but just what a team to have so much depth um, and to play so many un- unestablished stars, really, compared to the names they left out. It really was an amazing French side when we go, go back through the names. So they've won their first two group games. They've got a 3-0 win and a 4-0 win. Uh, that back five doing their job. Uh, and that put them into their third group game. Now, tell me a little bit more about this uh, final group game then. What's the situation in the group by this point? That is a very good question. Um, so Denmark and South Africa having drawn um, after France had beaten um So France had beaten South Africa, Denmark had beaten Saudi Arabia. So the draw between South Africa and Denmark essentially meant that they were going into the final game, um, both with the chance of getting through. Uh, Essentially, you'd probably have put Denmark as being the outsiders, given that they were going to have to play France. Um, But I think it was the final game a draw. Yeah, so the final game was a draw, uh, South Africa and Saudi Arabia. Um, do you know I'm trying, trying to work out my head here how it's Denmark then who went through um, so have they got f- of course yeah, yeah there you go that's right that's right yeah yes they had been Saudi Arabia yeah and then there was South Africa and Saudi Arabia both best they could hope for was a draw which puts them through um, Denmark did lose the final game to France uh, yeah Manuel and then um, Denmark went through uh with four points um, and France took all points, nine points out of nine and, and really did steamroller their group. And they were already certain of going through come this uh, third game, which meant that again, some uh, interesting players got to play in this game as well. We saw Bernard Diomede make another appearance. Um, that's two for the world cup. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think it's a surprise um, that Karen Boo got the goal. Yeah, well, Karen Boo was a good player at that point. He was at, I believe he was at Real Madrid at this point when he when this yeah, he was, was going on. Yeah, yeah, he was at Incredible. Real Madrid at the point. That's what. So I mean he wasn't a, a terrible footballer at this. And and this was when the formation of France seemed to adopt uh was more of a kind of a four three two one. And the three was a uh, Deschamps in the centre and then Petit with his left foot played left of the three. And then it was usually Caramba to the right-hand side of it, which meant that there was almost two number 10s, usually Dukayev and um, Zidane floating. Um, But that was variable depending on the situation. But um, Petit, really an underrated member of this team. And he scored uh, a vital goal in this game. But his left foot was vital for the shape of this team. Um, and his energy. He was another really underrated footballer. Now we look back, people remember Patrick Vieira far more than Petit, but in this 98 World Cup, Petit was the star, and Vieira very much the understudy. He's yet to play. Is this his first game he plays in, isn't it? This one, I believe. Yes, this is his first game of the World Cup in this 2-1 victory over Denmark. Very much a backup, wasn't he? So, but do you Vieira think by... but is that because was. Petit was left-footed? Do you think that if Vieira were left-footed that he would have been in the side because he was adding that balance or do you think that Petit was genuinely being preferred to Vieira? I think Petit was more trusted. Um Raymond Domenech was, uh, very much had the players he trusted. Um 
look at Gavash as a as a perfect example of that. But um, also Petit was that little bit more experienced, a little bit wiser ahead. And Vieira was very raw at that point. A great footballer, but he was very rare. He yeah, was it's very difference between a 27 year old and a 22 year old, um, isn't it? Uh, that's it. And and Vieira's playing style. Um, if you haven't watched a com- compilation of Patrick Vieira's <laughs> crunching flying tackles, um, it's worth a watch. But um, you know he he was a, a very committed player, and uh, I think that the risk of getting him sent off, he was booked in this game. I wonder if he actually started at right back in this game. I was going to say because it, it doesn't look like a four at the back, does it? Candela's a reserve back. Also, Candela, what a phenomenal backup left back to Liza Razou. Um but um, I, I would hazard a guess that Vieira started right back in this game, which is um, quite surprising, actually. But just shows you how strong this team is if a uh, informed Vieira can't make it into the starting eleven. So um, a 2-1 victory against Denmark. Now, this wasn't plain sailing for Denmark. They were uh, for France, sorry. Denmark wanted to win this game. Um, France took the lead through an early penalty from Jokaev, but... Um, things were drawn level with a penalty the other end, Michael Aldrup scoring. Um, and it was one all for uh, at half time. And Denmark definitely had everything to play for, whereas France were, I suppose, cruising would be the word you'd use, isn't it? Um, but the Danish side had some good players in it. I'm just looking at their starting lineup, and we've got the Laudrup brothers, a young Martin Jorgensen, who was a very, very established footballer by the end of his career in Serie A. Um, you've got Thomas Helweg, who, although Norwich uh, fans might argue he wasn't a good footballer, he most certainly was. Uh, Norwich was the, the blotch on his CV, in his opinion, having played for both Milan clubs. Um, and Peter Schmeichel in goal. So this is not a bad and start. Sand coming off the bench. Means. I'm a bit surprised um, that he didn't start. What the story was there? You'd think that he'd be in the side. It was yeah, deadly yeah. back in the day. Yeah, and they've got um, Alan Nielsen, who, for all his kind of detractors, scored a lot of goals for a midfielder. Um, and uh, and I believe he did score in this World Cup as well, Nielsen. But a, a good Denmark side and, and one that France were very wary of and, and were not for a fantastic Petit uh, driven shot from the edge of the 18-yard box that was so well hit that Schmeichel got to it and it still went in. Um, it, it, it would have been a different story, I think. Um, I think France would have lost a bit of momentum because um, this World Cup for France was all about momentum. They started strong and they well, kept you know, they, see, on it. Um, and I mean, without getting ahead of ourselves, I was going to say, because that's the one thing actually that surprised me looking back on this, looking back on the World Cup, because I did have a memory of France basically steamrolling everyone, just walking through the group stage, uh, dismissing everybody in the uh, in the knockout stage and then thumping Brazil in the final. But that's not really how it was, is it? No, not at all. And we're going to move on now to the first knockout round um, where they took on the keeper of the tournament was elected as keeper of the tournament, and that is the the legend, the goal-scoring <laughs> goalkeeper of Paraguay, Chilever, who is one of my Class, all-time favourites. I mean, any players. goalkeeper taking um, free kicks. <laughs> for so many reasons. For so many reasons. But for me, because if you ever wanted someone in the trenches with you, it's him. He <laughs> was a terrifying man. And 
and opponents openly have spoken about their fear of him um and he was a real general on the pitch and a, a great talent fantastic uh with the ball at his feet and and a very intimidating keeper he'd come for everything and knock you out on the way and and this game against Paraguay, well, let's discuss that in a bit of depth because it's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, again, the team, apart from Dear Maida, uh, is kind of the team that you'd expect it to be. So obviously the back five, um, having restored um, Blanc back into the side, having been out, was it actually, was it Blanc or was it Desai who missed the last one? Saram was, uh, was taken out, wasn't he? Yes. Right back. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, but yeah, so restoring the back five, as you'd expect. Deschamps, uh, again, in the midfield. Um, obviously, no Zidane. So, presumably, Zidane was suspended for this, which, again, I, I didn't remember. Was it a three-game ban that he got? No, so it would have been... Uh, you get a one-game ban for uh, a, a red card in a World Cup at this point. Um, but it, interestingly, his suspension was a... Was a real yeah. Was well, no, two game ban. Yeah, you'd expect yes, to speak. It must he wasn't involved. Two game. Yeah, two game ban. Two game ban. Um, but that, but his suspension really showed in this game because this World Cup, if you Zidane, everyone knows his quality, but in this World Cup, France played through him. He was the fulcrum of everything in this in this World Cup. Um, and their struggles against Paraguay um, really, really were exacerbated because of his absence. Um, so against Paraguay, um, the midfield, who who started in midfield against So it was Deschamps, Petit, Diermeda, and Djorkaev. Uh, so you'd imagine they're Diermeda on the left, Djorkaev on the right. Uh, with Deschamps Petit as a central two. Um, although saying that, the uh, Wikipedia's got that the other way around. It's got uh, Diermeda on the right and Djorkaev from the left. So whether that was kind of an early uh, inverted wingers sort of tactic, who knows? And who, who um, played uh, up front for them in this game? Because that's quite important, how this tournament changed. Uh, their front line changed a lot. So it's Trezeguet and Henri to start. To start. And it's yeah. interesting that it was Henri uh, was the man that was substituted on 64 minutes. So without a goal, so nil-nil um, up until the 114th minute. So when they were making the tactical changes to try and sort of turn the screw and, and change the focus a little bit, Robert Pires came on for Henri in the 64th. Um, and then you call for that man, Alain Bogossian, and the 69th minute replacing Petit. So a little bit of flair coming on for a bit of steel. Um, and then the final change on the 76th yeah. minute. So Stefan Givash uh, coming on. So not Dugary. Can't imagine how he felt on the uh, on the bench. So Givash coming on for Bernard Diameda. Um, so kind of getting it back to more of a kind of 4-4-2, um, having changed it a bit with Perez coming on. Um, mm. Would you have been going for Givash there or would you have gone for Dugary? Well, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because, again, we're talking about um, manager favourites and Gavash was going into this tournament the, the choice striker and actually his form in, in club football that year made him the form striker as well. Um, of course, now in history, he's famed for not scoring and winning a World Cup as a number nine. Um, but his impact was... Uh, he he was more of a, a wall pass player. He's a big, tall striker. Um, he was uh, really used to let the more talented so players in the, the team Giroud. function. Um, yeah, really. I mean, that that's the best way to describe him. Um, 
no doubt in my mind that Giroud was the better footballer out of the two. Um, but again, Giroud took uh, Gavashi's title, didn't he, and failed to score and won a World Cup. But um, <laughs> it's amazing, these French teams. But it is a fascinating one because Gavashi, I can see the manager's kind of reasoning behind picking him as as his club form and, and the way that the team played in the first uh, games of the tournament with Gavash starting. Um would suggest that they were scoring more with him on the pitch than without him. A 3-0 victory with Gavash starting um, would, would have given him confidence, I think. Um, but, you know, the way that the subs they made, the Pires sub and the Borgosian, you brought on really two scheming passes of the football there. Um, neither was blessed with blistering pace, but both very te- technical dribblers and and spotted the right passes. And I think that's really what the manager was going for. But the goal in this game, it was not a pretty goal. It was scored in extra time. Um, and this is yeah, a time when it gold, was golden goal. Yeah, well, the look on Chilever's face when it flies past him. He is gutted. It's a beautiful finish from Laurent Blanc. I mean, for a start, you're questioning, what's he doing up there? Well, this is it, isn't it? Well, this is this is why I love this French team, because... Apart from Gavash, every player in it was a real footballer, proper technically gifted footballer. Laurent Blanc, Marcel Desailly, both very good ball-playing centre-backs. And, um, and Laurent Blanc was the hero on, in this game. Um, it's funny, just sort of touching there. on that. So you mentioned earlier on about, uh, about Desailly playing in midfield. I can't imagine him particularly enjoying playing at the back. Do you think that was purely because of the quality that uh, France had in midfield? Do you think that's what forced him back? Because he won number eight, didn't he? So he you know, even wearing the number... He did. He started his career in midfield, of course, for AC Milan. He was brought in with a lot of pressure on his head. He was brought in originally to replace Rijkaard in uh, midfield and long-term to replace Baresi at the back um, for uh, AC Milan. So he was brought there from Marseille. um, And at this World Cup, he just moved to Chelsea. Um, And Chelsea... Uh, as manager when he was signed, I believe, was uh, it was Hullet or Viali, I can't remember which, but they saw him as a, a perfect foil for Frank Leboeuf. Um, and their central defence options were not great at the time. We're talking the likes of Frank Sinclair, Eddie Newton. Um, so I think having a giant ball-playing centre-back was probably quite appealing at that point. Um, Champions League winner as well, of course, I think, at that point. So a really talented footballer who could play anywhere. Um, and by the time this, this World Cup where France played him at centre-back, he was an established centre-back for Chelsea. And I think that that was just the natural progression, was to you'd rather have him in your yeah, team unquestionably. Not. Uh, He was. I mean, I was devastated when he moved to Chelsea, not Liverpool. Um <laughs> well, at least there's a happy memory with Phil Bab. Um, Not for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the one post. But um, I mean, that that kind of that's the difference, isn't it? Um, I, I I was shocked when he went to Chelsea because he didn't win a lot there, um, and he was well, better. Well, well, well. I'm going to stop you there. In, hey, H- Michael Dubery to agree with that. They would. Uh, we're not going off on a tangent, but he, he yeah he was a phenomenal footballer and his 
Yeah, no question. Honors. No question at all. The man speaks for himself. He's uh, absolute quality and a really genuinely funny guy. If you listen to any sort of, yeah. I mean, you can't always necessarily understand everything that he's saying, but he's great to listen to because he's just so infectious, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's a, a wonderful character and, and a real leader as well. And and that's something perhaps we haven't mentioned, but this French team was full of captains and full of leaders. Um, I mean. Didier Deschamps wore the armband, but Laurent Blanc was the passion at the back. Desai was a calm leader. Touran was a was a captain. You're absolutely right. They're all captains going through, aren't they? Clubs. They're all uh, top players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, that must have been one hell of a team to coach for Ami Jacquet. Um, because I mean, again, the dressing room must have run itself beyond belief. Yeah, I, probably the easiest. Easiest game ever to, to manage, I think. Just go put your best players on with that defense and go, <laughs> At home, go in front of your home crowd. Although well, only 30,000 for this one, which is a bit, yeah. bit of a surprise. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, not the biggest, it was the Stade Philippe uh, Bollard in Lons. So 31 8. No, no, not right, huge. So not huge given they played uh, the Saudi Arabia yeah. game, was at the Stade de France in front of 80,000. Yeah, that's the opening game. Yeah, that's, that's a no, surprise. Yeah, you'd think, no, yeah, you'd think they would uh, game you know, game, maybe yeah. save that for a little bit later yeah. on, but there you go. But um, so this game against Paraguay. Now, this Paraguay side were already uh, kind of outperforming their expectations, shall we say, at this point. Um, <laughs> uh, Chilavert was their one truly established star. Um, and and the one that people looked for, but they actually came second in their group and they knocked out Spain. Absolutely, yeah. Um, which got something, and and their group had other tournament favourites, Nigeria in there. Um, a team that we could talk about at length because of our love <laughs> of some class. of the players in that Nigeria team, the likes of Cano and Abacha and Taribo West spring to mind, but um, Paraguay really really surprised people by knocking spain out um and they did they did did well um but you can't name any other player off the top of your head from that no Paraguay no you, you're gonna struggle i'm sure roberto acuna um he played in england didn't he but i can't remember who for I, i'd vaguely remember him playing for newcastle yeah they had their own ayala as well i remember that and he scored a goal in this tournament and uh, and Gamara was. Do I kind of feel like Jose Cardozo defender. is someone that we know, or is there but, a Cardozo more recently? I may well have been before his time. This to put this in context, Roque Santa Cruz was seventeen. <laughs> I'm not sure that's allowed. This World Cup. <laughs> so just to just to bear that in mind, he was deemed a future star at this point, um, and he had a good career, but. Being Paraguay's probably most recognisable footballer of the last few years, um, mm. and he was 17 at this World Cup, so he really does show you how well Paraguay did to get out of the group stages. And when they saw Spain, Bulgaria as well, a very good Bulgaria side, uh, it's the tail end of their kind of golden generation, um, Stoichkov, etc. They must no, and again, defensively very good. Chances, so the but... clean sheet against Bulgaria, the clean sheet against Spain in two nil-nil draws, and then to go and beat Nigeria, who'd already qualified in that final game. Um, spot on, really. That's 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 how you get yourself through a group. So yeah, there's a reason he's in the tournament, isn't there? Um, 
a fantastic yeah, four, four games, games one goal conceded in 90 minutes in uh, so, those four that's pretty good going that's pretty fantastic um so france let's be honest they 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 scraped through in this yeah, game. you think they scraped through they in really this game wait until the next through. round yeah um, uh, yeah well that's where we're next so next we do probably my my uh, second favorite team of this tournament and the opposition was... The mighty Italy. Well, Pagliuca in goal. Uh, Bergomi at right back. I've got to be honest, isn't a name that necessarily jumps straight out at me. But then you get onto the uh, the classics. Cannavaro and Costa Curta at centre-back. Just Paolo Maldini at left-back. Uh, and then you've got um, Dino Baggio in midfield. You've got Luigi Di Biagio uh, in the midfield. Francesco Moriero, Gianluca Passotto. And then up front, the riches of Alessandro Del Piero and Christian Vieri, who had been deadly in the group stage. Mm. He'd had a great tournament up until this point, hadn't he? Absolutely fantastic. And the players they had coming off Rightly the bench, so. you haven't mentioned... But Baggio and Olivio. You haven't mentioned Baggio and Olivio. I mean, there is some real quality in this squad. Um, and their reserve goalkeeper would have been, what, Taldo at this point? Or... Peruzzi. Yeah, but yeah, I'm surprised that Pagliuca was ever ahead of Toldo. Uh, at this point, he was Toldo was too young again. Pagliuca was at the absolute peak of his powers, and Toldo was coming through at Florentina, so uh, that's probably the reason why. And Toldo started in 2000 because of the injuries to uh, Peruzzi um, and Buffon as well, because um, Buffon debuted in '97, I think, for Parma. Um, so Toldo was lucky to ever get a tournament, quite honestly, with the talent. He was just one of the unlucky ones, caught between the might of He did spend Peruzzi a lot of time as having two. Buffon, yeah. really. He so was in the, the 96 squad as well 2000. behind Peruzzi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was when he was at his absolute. He was the young up-and-coming keeper then. That lasted a year, and then Buffon came on the scene. So it really was uh, quite, quite something. But this Italy team was... Fantastic, and true to Italian form, they kept a clean Absolutely, sheet. Absolutely, yeah, nil nil all the way yeah. through to penalties uh, in the shootout, and then a man actually that you mentioned, uh, Dimitri Albertini, he missed uh, for Italy. Lisa Rizzo missed for France, um, but Baggio scored, Costa Curta scored, Vieri scored for Italy, and then for France, Zidane had scored, Trezeguet, Henri, um, and Laurent Blanc, and then up stepped Luigi Di Biagio. Uh, and hit the bar, and that was that. France three four three. But it's it's got to be. This was not a boring nil nil. Um, both keepers made contenders for save of the tournaments in this game. There's one from Palukia where um, Petit uh, has an attempt, and it is. I don't know how he got there. Palukia was was always, in my opinion, underrated because of the prominence of Buffon. Um, but the ball came fizzing across his goal, and he got there um, with the, with the, with his um, top uh, his, his top side hand diving to his left and picked it around the post. And then there's a chance for Del Piero at the far post. He's got in behind Turam for a header, and he's done everything right. He's put it right in the corner of the net, and Bartes has somehow. He's scrawling across the goal. Um, I don't know how he's got there and thrown himself at the post and somehow kept the ball out of the net. It is honestly some of the chances in this game 
they, they, there was nothing wrong with the finishing. It was just incredible defending and goalkeeping that kept this game at nil-nil. Um, it really was uh, a fantastic game. One of the more exciting nil-nils. You generally get good good uh, draws with Italy. They're always good value, but um, a real um, nail-biter. Um, and, uh, yeah, went to penalties, like you say. And, and France came out on top, and Italy's poor form... That's a slightly more defensive France uh, lineup continued. as well. Um, it's a little bit more steel in midfield. So you've got Deschamps, Carambou, and Petit. Um, all... I mean, I, it's a little bit difficult to call Carambou. And to a certain extent, Petit, particularly defensive. Um, yeah, but... They're boxed aren't they they're, they're but you're definitely you're definitely both playing both i mean you're playing both defense, more right? as a kind of defensive shield i think there's you know you'd be a little bit more creative if you wanted to be a little bit more creative there i think jorkai have pushed on uh with zidane and then zidane and jorkai have playing off stefan Givash. uh again playing from the start yeah yeah that's so the so trusted Givash man for the yeah, for the big occasion um okay. although he came off um 65 so made a double change karambu and Givash coming off for Thierry Henry and David Trezeguet both coming on. But again, I, I wouldn't have thought that they would both be up front. So I'd imagine that Trezeguet would have been up front and then Henri probably playing from, what, the right wing? With Jorkaev on the left? Right. Probably probably left wing if, if Jorkaev stayed on because Jorkaev played the majority of this tournament from the right. Um, that was his favourite position, drifting in. Uh, he was really very much an inverted winger, but using the wrong foot. Um <laughs> A very interesting footballer who I've always been fond of. Um, and this was in his uh, Inter Milan days, of course. And um, he scored a lot of goals in this tournament. Um, very much underrated, actually, uh, I think. I think, it, yeah, quite, forgotten man. Quite a forgotten in man general. In I mean, I think before he'd, uh, he'd come to England with Bolton, um, obviously, which in itself is just bizarre. But then, you know, the players that Bolton was signing was bizarre. Um, and maybe we don't want to spoil a, a potential future episode here. But it is hard to work out how he ended up having to go to Bolton because I mean he would have been a starter for Inter wouldn't he yeah yeah um well he he the the trouble for him at Inter was um he wanted to play in the attacking areas of the pitch and and the Inter team then had Ronaldo um San Marano uh they would have had uh Recoba coming through um, and it's just tight for places, I think. That's the, the trouble with the, that Italian league was so strong in those 90s that getting game time was, was the challenge. Um, but he, an unheralded footballer who won a lot of, a lot of silverware in his time and, and in this French team, he was vital. Um, nearing, nearing the kind of his peak at this point, for sure, but um, always trusted um to deliver and he did time and time again a great great footballer so we talked about the penalty takers then you said Baggio scored which Baggio scored the penalty yeah this was is this Roberto Baggio was that Roberto first. coming off the bench this was big people people who don't have context which I'm sure <laughs> they will the divine ponytail of Roberto Baggio but well in the previous world cup he was the reason that Italy failed um which is harsh to say, but mm. it's deemed the reason it's why a missed penalty. Um, and to come on, and, and it's a huge moment for him. And it's Italy's Stuart Pearce moment, really. Um, 
and and he he did score. Unfortunately for him, I, yeah, Italy he did his still thing. So they they went lost. second. Uh, Italy. So Zidane uh, had scored um, the first penalty. So stepping up, he knows straight away that if he misses, then that's all his career is going to be remembered for. I mean, with respect to him, that's kind of what he's remembered for anyway from '94. Um, but certainly, if he'd missed this one as well, then you know they would have been uh, <laughs> crushing. Yeah, which would have been incredibly harsh on. on because people don't seem to realise how good Roberto Baggio was. He was definitely in the top three players of the world at points of his career. Um, a, a superbly talented player. Um, mm-hmm. And one of those classic it- Italian number 10s. And, and this tournament, unfortunately for him, was kind of the start of the end because Del Piero's rise to prominence in, from yeah. 1960 Yeah, and then you've got um, Francesco Totti drastic. as well, who's, uh, who's lurking, waiting to get himself involved as well. I mean, he's already had his debut for Roma by this point. He debuted in 97 as well. Good year for Italian football is 97. Um, but, you know, you, for, for Roberto Baggio, this, this was, it, it was a crushing starter tournament because he didn't get his, his heralded number yep, 10 shirt right. to start, did he? He started with the number 18. Um, and, and, and from that moment on, he knew Not he the, wasn't uh, main man anymore. a favoured starter, which is... And Italians care about squad numbers. There's a real thing with squad numbers in Italy, and and that's a it's a it's a bit of a a knock to your confidence, shall we say, mm. to not get that your your established number. Um, what was his last World Cup? Um, so Italy, though, this was a very strong Italian side. Um, Christian Vieri, people who are perhaps a little younger listening might not realise how good a striker Vieri was. Um, he's one that I personally always found hard to like because he kept nomading his way around clubs in the world. Uh, he never stayed put, but as a striker, he was four in three in the group stage as well at this World player. Cup. So this was pretty much his peak, um, wasn't it? This was as good as it was going to get for him. I mean, it. He just, he was everything. He was really physical, such a broad man, pretty quick, very a beautiful tall, left foot. And had one of the hardest shots in football. Um, <laughs> you're, you're classic left foot footballer, really. Um, with just all left foot. And I tell you what, talking about right all left foot, foot that's uh, just um, sort of segueing back to the penalty shootout. Um, so Lizzie Rizou, second up for France, which. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he, so he missed, but I can't imagine why um, he's stepping up second, to be honest. If you sort of, you know, you go down the list, I would have thought Emmanuel Petit uh, would have been a little bit higher up on the list. Karen, oh, actually, Karen Bird would come off. Um, Trezeguet and Henri would go on to take them. So, I mean, you, you know, Yuri Jorkaev, again, another one, another option. But even so, even so, it's, you know, bravery to step up. Yeah. Yeah, I would have thought. I would have thought Deshaun might have taken one, quite honestly. It's captain and <laughs> a good pass for the so. ball. You think we have to kick a ball accurately towards the corner? Mm-hmm. I, so. I mean, that's all penalties are, right? No. Um, but now I have a, I have a theory that generally speaking, big penalties are usually missed by left footers, um, and uh, this is starting to stay in line with my theory. Lizaru, well, Liz- so Lizaru missed, missed, which then gave the Albertini shootout? the chance to put Italy two one up, but he also missed. So that's also huge there. And if they'd gone two one up in right. the shootout. You know, that would have been psychologically that would have been quite big for them. So I think having missed that opportunity to go two one up, 
um mm-hmm. that's you know it's quite huge and then trezeguet steps up uh, to put france 2-1 up then costa curta does the business as costa curta does but again that's probably probably not a name that too many people are going to uh going to remember experience does yeah no i, I would have picked mm. uh, as a as a penalty taker great footballer great defender bold shout as isn't it bold shout and then thierry henry who you'd expect is... to put france 3-1 up um that man christian vieri um uh, sorry, four one up, uh, four two up, and then Christian Vieri makes it four three uh, with his penalty, and then Laurent Blanc, the fifth uh, fifth taker for France. But yeah, class Again, class penalty taker. And then leader, if it had um... gone into uh, gone into sudden death, you you know you are then sat on people like Jorkaev, Zidane, uh, who hadn't taken one yet. Petit hadn't taken one yet. I'd love to have seen uh, Desai thumper penalty, you know, into uh, you know, take the net off. Do you have a chance to thumper? Because I knew LeBeuf used to take penalties regularly for Chelsea, and he did thump them. But I had Desi down. Desi down as more of a. I can imagine a bludgeoning it. But then, uh, then Dibiagio stepping up and hitting the crossbar. Uh, Blanc, um, Blanc. Uh, what's his name? Bartes had gone the right way, um, but yeah, hitting the uh, hitting the top of the crossbar. Right. So I mean, that's. I mean, that is. And can we just say how good Laurent Blanc's penalty is? Um, I, I'm watching it now. He steps up. That's a three-foot three runner, a uh, three-step runner, and he blasts it in the top left corner. Absolutely. Like, there's no hesitation. Facing one of the best keepers in the world, and he puts it right in the top left corner. No hesitation at all. Um, but not many of the penalties are actually saved in this one. I Just a lot of misses, unfortunately. So... Um, says it all really um, now they go through this quarterfinal matchup which was in my opinion overall was their hardest game um, that they played in this tournament um, it shouldn't have been but it was um, and their next game was <laughs> against my favourite shirt of the tournament outside of Jamaica's um, Jamaica's by the way if you get the chance this 98 World Cup had some of the best football shirts that I've ever seen um, Jamaica's was a real highlight. South Africa's was good, but they faced and the point. Shuka in the semi-finals. Um, Davos Shuka in the form of his life, um, and and this is a Croatia team that should not be underestimated. We talked about some big teams in this tournament. Croatia were a bit of a dark horse in this one, but I don't know why it was a surprise when you go through some of the names in that team. Absolutely. So, uh, coming how they lined this up game, in this game. Um, they've got, uh, I mean, quite a few, if I'm being honest, that I don't recognise. So, Ladic in goal isn't one that I know. But then Igor Stimac as uh, a classic. Dario Simic, again, a bit of a classic. Slaven Bilic, who went on to manage West Ham, uh, now at West Brom. Um, Mario Stanic, Roberto Gianni, uh-huh. uh, Zvonimir Soldo, which doesn't necessarily sound a particularly Croatian name, but there you go. Hmm. Oh, uh, just a footballer, yeah, of the time. Um, Jani was in the team, wasn't he not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert Jani, yeah, he was, um, was left wing back, according to uh, according to Wikipedia. Uh, Zvonimir Boban, yeah, fantastic, yeah, 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 fantastic left back. Put on the strings, and then yeah. uh, what, a, yeah. what a player he Debra was. Yeah. And Robert Prozanecki as well. Um, I mean, Prozanecki as well, and did Alan Botsic was playing as well, wasn't he? So, I mean. A, a team of real talented footballers. I mean, if you were to just pick out of that squad, Prozanesky, Boxic, 
Bilic, Suka, Boban and Yarni. That that is a lot of footballing talent there. Um and you add in um Solder, who was a, a very talented um central midfielder. Um you've got yourself a really good footballing side who in in Boxech and Suka, you've got two of the best finishers out there. Um and with Boban and uh Rosanetsky both wanting to play in the number ten, you've got the creators and chiefs there. So this is a strong team, a really strong team that was almost dismissed, I think, even though they had a good Euro 96. No one thought that they could do it on this stage to get to the semi-final. It was a real achievement. Um, fantastic. No, no, Croatia and this game was not an easy one, half time. For, um, uh, Shuka with a very clever finish um under fabian bartes but um so yeah again looking at this uh this france side it's it's very similar actually to the um to the team in the quarterfinal but for zidane coming back in um as you'd expect um so again the back five really which picks itself um although again we'll get on to that mm. in a moment but the back five picks itself with their champs in front of it um with then caramboo and petit uh kind of holding but doing a little bit more than that really uh getting up and down and then zidane jorkaev and of course Stefan Givash uh, leading the line as the uh, the deadly number nine, who you know is just a wall for the better players. Um, and then Laurent Blanc, devastating red card, seventy fourth minute. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? The red card. It was. Uh, I watched it back, and I'm, I mean, I can see it from both perspectives, but it's one of those things, isn't it? I mean, I. For those listeners who don't know, I'm a qualified referee myself, and I've always believed the referee should referee the rules, not the occasion. But if you are refereeing the occasion, which many refs, especially English refs, tend to do, you're not sending off their their, their second in command in the in the semi final of a World Cup for that. Tackle. He was quite keen to show the red as well. Um, he he just seemed quite. Uh, there wasn't a great so, deal of hesitation. Didn't give himself much time to think. No, um, and I don't know how. Uh, I don't know if it's that thing where referees want to make a name for themselves. You know that does happen, but um, devastating for Laurent Blanc, who unfortunately did miss the final. Um, Two rounds goals. Hey, let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's talk about uh, two I mean, sensational. You wouldn't, uh, you know, you're looking for a hero in that France team, uh, turning the game around, and then a minute after Suka had put Croatia in front, uh, up with an absolute beauty. A bit of a sort of bundled his way into the position, uh, but then what a hit! Yeah, I mean, he had the physical presence to do that, didn't he? It's a bundle. Um, but I mean, he he for play, people who haven't watched a lot of his game in, in his pomp, it was like watching a, a steam train charging down the flank. He was an unstoppable force when he was running, um, and uh, and this goal was kind of made of his own volition, really, wasn't it? Um, and it, it it cast him in kind of in French history because although he played over 140 games for France, it was this game where he scored his only two goals in his entire international career. I mean, what a stage to 
Yeah, put yourself into and he's, he's, he's given it away, hasn't he? Beforehand, he's, um, he's given the ball away, and, 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 and there's a little, a little audible groan from the uh, from the crowd, and he just yeah. sticks with it, gets himself involved, gets in a couple of people's faces, plays a little one-two. Uh, Cherry and reason he plays the one-two with, uh, and then uh, gets played in and sticks it away. But the second goal is That's absolutely yeah. beautiful—a curling left footer. I, I doubt he ever did that again in his career. Yeah, yeah, just so unexpected. No, no, I don't. I don't believe he would have done it. It was so uncharacteristic for him. And again, it's it's him just charging through and doing his thing and winning the ball back that makes the difference. Um, and he's he's a lovely footballer. He always was, but no one anticipated this at all. Um, there's a crossfield ball from Zidane. He takes the ball down, um, you know, and then just he just runs. There's no other word to describe it. He runs, he kind of tackles the ball back because he lost it for a moment and then just hits it as hard as he can of his left foot. And it is it was a thing of beauty. Um but I mean I I could go on about Turan all day because I think he's probably one of the most underrated defenders in some respects because well, I mean he, he could play everywhere, so everyone just kind of thought he was a bit of a jack of all trades, I think, sometimes. But he was just great at everything. Um and this game was, yeah, a real, a real, um, a real moment in his career. I'm sure <laughs> where he went, yes, nailed it. Because <laughs> I mean, he, he, you know, he he didn't score again for his national side. 142 caps, I think. Um, incredible to play that many times. And bear in mind, he probably went up for a lot of set pieces to win headers, and didn't score another goal. So he was a big lad. I mean, he would have gone up for corners. And failed to score again. Yes, so the crowning entire, moment of his career. Uh, his entire career. And um, eight of them were before 1996. Just to uh, <laughs> throw that in there. I mean, how about that for a stat? That's sensational. So he scored four goals uh, after 96. He was playing for another 12 years. And two of those were to get his nation into a final at a World Cup. Not bad, is it? On home turf. Fantastic, yeah. His uh, son took all the goal-scoring talent then. His Absolutely. son is now Bruce, tearing Bruce up the German league, of course, and uh, looking quite quite Yeah. Um, now, just a quick mention, just just to say how good the goal that Croatia scored was. Um, it really was a lovely finish from Suka. But it's um, all about, again, we've talked about those great Croatian uh, playmakers, and it really was a lovely goal. With a, a fantastic this this French defense, you don't get through it easily, but that it was one of the nicest passes of the tournament. And Suka took it down almost from behind him on his instep, got it just positioned it perfectly, and then sl- just slid the ball underneath Barthez. So, um, just a little shout out for Suka because, um, you know, he was fantastic this tournament, and uh, I, I was sad for for that Croatian team because they didn't get to the final because they were very, very, they were they were yeah, yeah. and Suka especially I mean, it was uh, so just it's a, a shame shot. he ended up coming to England because I think again that will change people's perspective on him I think his uh, you know him for Arsenal and then West Ham it's not really we're not talking prime Suka there I think if you look back at the goals at this World Cup that was you know that was him in his absolute pomp and in his prime it was top class you give him a, a sniff of a chance he sticks it away and again left footers always look like better finishers 
Yeah, I mean, Suka at Real Madrid was phenomenal. Um, and he moved to an Arsenal team where he had to push out the likes of Canu, Henri and Bergkamp. So he was fourth choice when he moved to Arsenal, um, which should never have happened. He's too good for that. Um, and if you look at any kind of Davos Suka goal compilation, it nearly always starts with one of his many, and I mean many, many chips. He was the king of the left foot lob. And um, there's a few goals that he has so many opportunities to use his right foot and he chooses not to. He is one of those, again, we've talked about them, but they, these these are utter left footers. Um, there, there are moments where he's, he's to the right-hand side of the goal, running away from goal, and he still finds a way to use his left foot. It's ridiculous. Um, but he is... I, I, I've always had a huge soft spot for him. Um, and uh, the way he's remembered by English fans is not always the best. And it's a shame because he was part of that fantastic Real Madrid side. Um, What's the golden boot winner? Bondo and what have you in it. Um, and, and he was, yeah. And, and he blooming well deserved it because he was fantastic. Um, and it takes us to the final then. They've, they've, had great groups and really, really difficult knockout stages. They made the games probably a lot harder than they needed to be. And I, I think that the missing Zidane was a real reason for that. Um, and, it, and it really was a big, big um, impact on that side and the way they play, not having Zidane. Um, and we get to the final and it's the final that, that, from a fan's perspective, it should have been the best final we'd seen in years. Um, against a phenomenal Brazil side. Um, but on the eve of the World Cup final, a big um, conspiracy kind of arose, didn't it? Well, so Do I kind of remember about this, that, but or... I don't remember it in sort of particularly big details. But there was all sorts of stories about Ronaldo, wasn't there, and about his health. So was it not that he'd been... Uh, he'd been out clubbing and uh, had maybe indulged in a few things that he shouldn't have been, or, or was there a genuine thing? I, I don't really remember kind of the fallout. I remember it being a big thing at the time because there was all this talk about was he going to play, was he not going to play, and uh, what actually gone on? Because there was like rumours of heart condition, wasn't there, as well at one point? Yeah, so there was a lot of um, a lot of reports uh, pre-match about his health now. I don't think it'll ever be confirmed for sure what was going on with him, but it it flipped the mentality of the final um, because at one point his name wasn't on the team sheet um, and he got put into the team sheet very, very late on, um, which probably did dent France's kind of... Uh, morale a bit because they were thinking they were going to be playing against a Brazil side missing their absolute crown jewel. This is a Ronaldo who went mm. and had a fantastic tournament. He was scoring goals for fun in this tournament. Um, and Ronaldo of 98, 97-98 was one of the quickest players out there running with the ball at his feet. He was amazing. There's a wonderful interview with Cannavaro, uh, who talks about his discussion with uh, the Italian boss in the 97 um, pre-tournament of the World Cup that they used to have. And they said, let's find out if he's any good. Yeah, and he's Cannavaro all right. came off the pitch and he just went, 
he was unplayable. What do I, what do, I do? Yeah. Um, and this is probably one of the best defenders ever saying that. And he was, he had everything. Um, but he came on the pitch. And even I remember all the pre-match chat uh, he got from ITV or what have you. Um, and they did the um, the anthems. And the camera just stared at Ronaldo. And he did not look a well man. And you won't, it only took me, I mean, I would have been, what, maybe 10 or 11 at this point. And it didn't take an, a young me to realise that this was a man who was not ready to play a World Cup final. Um, and I think France recognised that because quite early on in the game, Fabian Barthez jumped and kneed him in the head. Um, and it was a proper, like he got the ball first. But there was real intent to harm there. I don't care what anyone says. And Ronaldo, I thought he'd been knocked out cold. But I mean, you would do, wouldn't um, you? That, that's uh, but they set about. That's, that's a classic. You've got. To... Yeah. yeah, I mean that, that's that's football, doesn't it? But I mean, France sensed an opportunity. They saw him in the tunnel. They knew he wasn't well, and they sensed it, and they went for it. And fair play to France. But France going into this game before all of that would have been definite underdogs because of the loss of Laurent Blanc, who, again, never moved to England in the in the twilight of your career because you're forgotten by English fans. But he was a fantastic yeah, player. Yeah, he, still, he um, was still decent for United. He actually did win a title at United. But yeah, um, still, still rocking right on, yeah. But he was fantastic in 98. Um, and... And they played LeBeuf instead of him in his absence. And LeBeuf had a great game, in fairness. No, no, and he was always yeah, a good George defender, geez. don't get me wrong, but not of the same level. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and so, that you know, starting starting the match, France were not going in favourites. So, no, but I tell you what, it began again, and it was the so clear that pieces. well. I mean, so, obviously both got... I mean, you wouldn't think... All right, if you uh, if you see the final score, three 0 France, two for Zidane, um, and then obviously Petit ninety third, you know, breaking away, and wouldn't be thinking that's two headers from corners for Zidane, would you? No, no, no. And but this is the interesting thing: people remember this tournament as the the kind of tournament that stamps Zidane in in history and and yes everything went through absolutely him, right yeah these are the only two goals he scored until the final day. um but again beautifully taken whereas yeah but come to that euro 2000 which again this this french team went on to win and we'll talk about that um he was a far more uh accomplished and polished footballer by 2000 um taking control of set pieces more often and what have you um but in this final, he made a name for himself. And, and yeah, he was the face of this French team by the end, but the ball went through him and he was the kind of the playmaker as such. But actually, his impact was not as big as perhaps you think. His, his, the gravitas of his personality and his, his desire to win was very important, but he didn't score until the final. It's a really curious thing because... You talk to people about France 98 and their victory. People always say French, that French team was Zidane. And and it's funny how he made himself the face of this team. But actually, up until this point, the likes of Djokovic no, and Reid is a I'd agree. I think he hadn't really, um, you know, there's nothing really that he had done that had sort of 
him in their favour or anything like that. Um, but obviously, big men step up in the big occasions. And here we are, World Cup final. It doesn't get any bigger than the World Cup final. And two big, booming headers, uh, top, top notch. And he played a part in the third as well, didn't he? Did he, uh, was he getting an assist for the third? He was definitely involved. I can't remember. I remember it was on the break um, and that Petit just, again, it's that box-to-box energy, just kept going and just scored. I I actually, for some reason, I had it in my mind that he was, um, that Petit could come off the bench, but it was Vieira who came off the bench and he oh. was part of that guy. So actually, I remember him that, breaking uh, Marcel away. he got sent off as well. So then all um, of a sudden, you, you know, you're defending this two, I mean, obviously being two goals ahead um, with 20 minutes to go, pretty strong position but even so you're then talking about Frank LeBeouf who hasn't played a great deal of football at the uh, the tournament and then what do you think it would have been uh, Vieira that would have dropped into centre-back because he was sent off uh, yeah. Yeah, so came off probably minute, so Vieira came on yeah I about five say. minutes after Desai had gone off so yeah he must have been uh, sort of dropped into centre-back but again centre-back partnership of, uh, of LeBeouf and Vieira against Ronaldo Yeah, not um, not a uh, a kind of fantastic selection of centre back options after the initial two three. They they obviously are nothing that was deemed good enough. If Vieira is playing at centre half, are they? So whereas now, I mean, France have got countlessly countless good centre halves, but it is it's it's an interesting one. But I mean, I just looking back on on this tournament for France, and the one thing that strikes me is. They've got a striker who doesn't score goals, but everyone else in that squad scores goals. Look at their, the variety of goal scorers in that team. Petit, Lizarazu, Turam, Blanc, Zidane, Djokaev, um, Dugary, Henri, Trezeguet. That's a lot of goal Absolutely, scorers for yeah. one tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you are talking about strength and depth, that's exactly what you're talking about. You've got players popping up all over the pitch. Um, Again, you wouldn't necessarily have expected Turan to be part of that list, but hey, double. Yeah, but but whereas in, in stark contrast, you have this Brazil team that, although it had a lot of talented players, they were playing through just Ronaldo scoring the goals. But Beto got a few, not a lot. And Rivaldo, I think, popped up with some, but mm. really, Ronaldo was their goal-scoring threat because they didn't take Romario <laughs> to this tournament. They did take the mental Edmundo, who I love, and we've I've talked to you about him um, <laughs> and his love for making monkeys smoke cigars. But um, you know, he they they didn't have goals really beyond Ronaldo, that depth of of goal-scoring talent. Whereas this French team. Rode a, definitely rode the crest of a wave in in confidence, but they had goals throughout the pitch, and that makes a huge difference, um, especially if you do take an injury to your goal scorer. And <laughs> and this should be a lesson learned for any uh, England fan back in Harry Kane um, for sure, because you know he will get injured. Um, <laughs> but it's um, it, it is something that you. Until you look back over it and, and analyse this French team, you don't 
you don't realise how absolutely. Vital but also this Brazil team, they a little bit lucky in their semi-final uh, up against Holland. They needed penalties to get past them. Um, big Patrick Cliver with an 87th minute equaliser in the game for a one-all draw. Um, Ronaldo having scored obviously for Brazil just after half time to put them on the lap. Um, so they needed a penalty shootout to get through. Um, both Koku and De Boer, uh, Ronald De Boer. Uh, for Netherlands missing there too uh, Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Emerson and Dunga scoring all four for Brazil um, but also they, they had lost a game in the group stage as well Brazil mm-hmm. um, they were already through at that point they lost 2-1 to Norway um, which I mean in itself just let's just take a moment for that Brazil 1, Norway 2 um, any Norwegian fans listening to that Absolutely, but again, at that point they were already through. They were already through. They made hard work, stage, to be didn't fair, they? But still, they made hard um, and then yeah, it wasn't uh, wasn't easy. Sort of their route through yeah. either, because um, in their quarter they uh... absolutely yeah no, it wasn't so they, easy. They did go one down away against Scotland though. Don't forget because it took Jim Layton making a terrible error, um, being very unlucky um, himself and Colin Hendry, I recall. Uh, on the line and the ball just bouncing around. It wasn't pretty. Um, yeah, absolutely did. So yes, that made it one all the at the time, if I remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a good Scottish team. That was the last time Scottish football was genuinely competitive and was producing players that were good enough to go outside of Scotland regularly. Um, you know, Paul Lambert was in, in Germany at the time with Dortmund. Um, you've got uh, the likes of Craig Burley, John Collins, Kevin Colin Gallagher Hendry, as well. Tom Boyd, Ian Dury, um, Alan McCoist, Duncan Ferguson. Um, it was a good crop of Scottish players there. They weren't pushovers like people imagine. No offence to Scotland, but people don't see the Scottish footballing uh, n- nation as a, as a force anymore. Um, but this 1988 yeah, team was actually um, quite strong. And they came bottom of their group, which uh, was really. Uh, but that was due to um, the Moroccan side. Yeah, it's not unreasonable. It's uh, not unreasonable. It's uh, Morocco. Um, if I remember correctly. And, and the Norway side in that group was strong at the time. That was when Norway were producing a lot of uh, tall, powerful Premier League footballers. Uh, when Premier League was going that way, uh, Liverpool signed a lot of them. Anyone from Scandinavia, hey, not Tory in the Andre early 90s we were on top of. Um, but no, not Tory Andrew Flo. Um, he was a, a, a nice footballer, and his and Havard Flo was there as well, wasn't That's he? he um, the often forgotten Flo was part of that Norway team. Did he really? I believe George well, Drew made twelve cup at a very young age. So. Yeah, something like that. Um, but, you know, not a bad side. But they, you're right, they had struggles. And the game that could have been a banana skin, they absolutely walloped Chile. And that Chile side had Salas and Zamorano up front. Um, and somehow, I don't know how, they beat them 4-1. Um, <laughs> so it was a very erratic Brazil team, sure. I think. I think that's, that's probably uh, a reasonable way to, to sum them up. Um, but they, you, you said, you know, it's a tight game. True, but savage. Um, so, <laughs> so there was no worries there. They knew what they were doing there. They went, we're going to take this to penalties. Um, and they did a great job. So, um, but this Brazil team, a great, a great side with some really standout players there. Um, 
And they would, of course, go on. To Absolutely, have but sooner than that, uh, well, the front, I mean, there wasn't a great deal of, uh, of evolution in the front um, side either, really, was there, from 98 to 2000. Um, so there's only four players, only four variances in the uh, the two squads. So the players that came in are Nelka, Wiltord, Miku, uh, and Ulrich Rammer um, to be uh, be second-choice goalkeeper. That's, I mean, that tells you a lot about the uh, how settled the squad was as well, doesn't it? And how mm. um, how right the squad was for the uh, for ninety eight. Yeah. And and the key there is that <laughs> they got Gavash out of the team, um, and and mm. replaced Gavash with a an actual striker who could score goals. Um, and they became a far more dangerous outfit for it. Um, when you're picking between Trezeguet, Henri, and Anelka. You know you're going to be all right. Yeah, um, and, plenty of games. Bill Tord as well, was, I believe, uh, didn't he? He said he the made the team as well. Um, yeah, and he was kind of the um, the replacement for Jukaev. Really longer term, he started to fill in on that right hand side. Um, kind of a natural successor in many respects. But I mean, that French team, people will remember it. Um, but what it, it represented, there's been a wonderful documentary made on this French team called Le Bleu, <laughs> um, which you can actually watch on Netflix. They're not sponsoring me to say this. Um, but um, it's, a, it's a fascinating documentary. And in this time of isolation, it's a good one to watch. But the cultural impact this team had, because uh, France was in a, in a time where there was a lot of um, tension between uh, kind of uh, African, uh, French uh, people i suppose algerians in particular um and zidane did a lot to uh, kind of stifle that and now it, it didn't stop it by any means any of the problems but it definitely um helped uh make relations a little bit easier and and, and it brought a nation together and and there are a lot of players you in know, the French team of yeah. Um, I was I was going to say that because um, um, Trevor Noah made a, uh, offended the know. French Federation. Um, I can't remember when it was. It must have been the last sort of couple of years. Um, he hosts the uh, the Daily Show now in America because he'd said that uh, that Africa in fact has won a World Cup and it was in France '98. Um, he sort of listed off a number of the uh, number of the players. Um, obviously, have you know African descent. Um, but not uh, it, it perhaps wasn't the most tactful way of saying it, but there's a lot of truth in it. Mm. Again, you mentioned Zidane, um, obviously of Algerian uh, heritage. Um, no, obviously you're then talking about people like Desai yeah. um, as well, Patrick Vieira, uh, Turam. So it was a, a good a good mixture yeah. in that French squad. But a, a, you know, again, it was it was a class team, a class team wherever they were yeah, from. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, clearly France put together a pretty solid side. That's it. And I think that a lot of people perhaps forget about this French, this generation of French footballers because they won the World Cup. They won Euro 2000. They got themselves a really, really heralded mm. double. Yeah, completely. Um, spectacularly. And then in 2002, it all fell apart. Um, and that was that was due in part to the retirement of the likes of um, Laurent Blanc. Uh, Deschamps, Liza Rizou, you're losing a lot of the, the elder statement, Yuri Jokaev, um, mm. and losing those elder heads and those captains and being replenished by um, footballers who um, <laughs> perhaps yeah. wouldn't have got into Jurgen Klopp's dressing room, should we say, because they don't pass the dickhead test, as he calls it, um, was the real problem. 
um, and this this French team. It, it was a fantastic generational team, but it should have gone on and won more, bearing in mind the talent that it had. You still had Zidane at the end of his career, admittedly, but Zidane, Henri, Trezeguet, that alone, Enelka, I'm sorry, he didn't play nearly enough for France. Mm, um, he should have gone yeah. to this World Cup. Yeah. He was in fantastic form for Arsenal, and he wasn't selected. And we can talk about the players that didn't make this French squad, and, and it doesn't matter now because they won it, but um, players that were in form of their lives, people like David Ginola, um, who had been just completely cast out by... What's the story uh, there, do you know? French people. He was hated um, <laughs> because of a mistake. He made an error um, in the qualifying game for Euro 96 um, and uh, that led to them not qualifying. And a lot of that Euro 96 squad um, were kind of left after that, shall we say. Ginola was the biggest casualty and... and uh, Cantona hung up his bed. Yeah, they did make the 96 squad. Internationally after they, they did make well. 96. So, um, yeah. But it was something around there. Maybe it was in the tournament then. I can't recall exactly, but it was something. It was in the tournament, I think. But there was a big error made by um, Ginola. Savage. Um, and he Although the, that is a little bit classic for the French uh, French squad, isn't it? There's always, the, you know, just sort of bubbling under the surface a little bit. But, but again, maybe that's the difference, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, maybe that's why. That's maybe that's, this, that's this, the big difference. The, yeah, the characters very different in that, uh, that. that sort of 98-2000 sort of period. And we laugh, but maybe Gavarch was key to that. Um, now, I mean, we, we are going to do a segment in our podcast. It's been a very long podcast um, today. We've got very chatty. Um, it's our first first time doing this, so you have to forgive us listeners. But um, we're going to do a segment each week, and we'll probably bring it in a bit earlier, actually, because I think it's a segment that people will enjoy. But it's uh, players that shouldn't have made the squad. Um, now, um, your candidate... I don't know that I would say that he shouldn't have made Gavash, the squad. Is that right? Um, I think that's, that's pretty reasonable sort of being around, because he was, you know, again, at his prime, uh, you'd say, at that point. Um, I don't know. In terms of sort of going down the list, I'm kind of looking at it a little bit more with uh, with more kind of modern eyes um, and sort of remembering players for the whole career. I think it's difficult uh, for me to say this was right at the very start of uh, of my football, um, you know, kind of uh, kind of following life. Um, but yeah, I, I imagine maybe Givash would be one that was a surprise. I think Dugarry was a bit of a surprise, but sure. again, you know, he was always a bit of a class player. Um, so you know, in his palm again, De Maida maybe would I'd say was a surprise because of how bad he was for Liverpool. Um, that's kind of the only thing really that I know about him. But again, he got himself in the team. He played plenty of games, so clearly there was something there about him. Okay, I think being left footed helped. I I hate to be that guy, but I genuinely believe he offered hey, left foot balance. And no, no, it's it. but it is true. Um, it is true. Which sounds horrible. But, uh, but we've seen Sterling make a career of it. And I think that he was just the French early version, perhaps, um, which sounds horrible. But I, on, on the talent of footballer I've seen from him, I see no reason why he should have made that French team. Um, it was a very, very balanced and, and good depth of squad. 
Um, but he had no right being there. Um, and, and he was playing for an all-zair team that played well that year. Um, and Gavarch. And maybe the chemistry of Gavarch was the reason, and maybe that's why um, Gavarch yeah, started with the MAD on, on numerous <laughs> occasions, perhaps, was because they hoped that that, that partnership would pay off, but it, it definitely... Um, Nothing was going to make Gavarch score free. goals. Although they won games, it definitely wasn't... Uh... <laughs> It, not in this tournament, no. It was a bit of an embarrassment. And, and I think Diomedo would be uh, uh, the one I would have picked for sure. Um, I'm just thinking, looking at the rest of that squad, um, Bartes definitely, uh, rightly, their starting keeper. Wore the number 16 for the national team for his whole career, interestingly. But Do you think... Definitely deserves actually, to be the starting Just on, uh, on Bartes... Um, and on Bartes wearing uh, 16. Do you think he's the reason not. why it's traditional for a goalkeeper in France to wear 16? Or do you think that, that was happening before him uh, and he's inherited it somewhere else? Or do you think that he might have been the uh, might have been the start of that? I'm, I'm, I, you know, I actually don't know. And I'm pretty good at my squad numbers. But I, that one, I don't know. I'll have to look up. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me because it became quite an iconic squad number for him. Um I mean, that's what I remember him wearing. I don't remember. I remember this oddly short, <laughs> springy goalkeeper with it's a nice, isn't bald it? head. Yeah, it's a nice tradition. Um, uh, in every game, it was a good luck. Yeah, it was lovely. It was lovely. And, and he was oddly, oddly good at jumping. Um, I mean, the, the, the incident where he knocks Ronaldo flat, um, he's got his knees above Ronaldo's jumping head height. So, I mean, he's, he's sprung high there. Um, uh, and uh, maybe that is an iconic thing, but I'm sure yes. I remember. Yeah, for both I think 98 and 2000. Lama, but Lama, is that right? Um, I believe that he was also a fan of the number 16 shirt. I've got this thing in my head where I'm sure he used to wear it for certain clubs at some point. I might be wrong, but I'm sure I have this memory of him wearing uh, that shirt as well. But he wore number one for PSG, so. Um, but you know he was a good keeper as well. No, he, no, um, he was very he was much back up for, uh, for big Fabian. But he Barthes. didn't get a game in this tournament, did he? Whereas in Euro two thousand, I remember there was one game where they rested pretty much the whole squad. Yeah, it was the last and group that's game, how much stronger the team had become. There was almost eleven changes in Euro two thousand. Um, that's it, and. Um, they had Willy Sagnol by that point, a right back who was. This is talking about the French depth and why that Euro 2000 team was. Do you actually Sagnol's duration of this? They had Sagnol, he, he got himself right involved back, 2002. Handler, reserve left back. Um, 2002, but he was definitely starting to play for them around those 2000s. So the, the depth was there. Yeah, top um, for sure. And, and I mean, Candela was a fantastic. Yes, he did, yeah. Yeah, again, that, that Bolton side. Well. We're going to have to have a look at Bolton. Another one that went to Bolton, didn't he? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> we will talk about them. They were fantastic. But, you know, it, it was a French side that it really was to start something great. And, and had Spain not gone on to be as good as they were and and kind of mop up that all the records they did, I think this France team would have been remembered even more fondly. But I do think that Spain achieving what this French team yeah, did. Yeah, I think it probably pretty much also being more years. recent. I think is always the uh, taking the shine. You know, off is it. always the key because I remember that um, 
the Euro 2000 final being you know being a game that I really sat down and enjoyed watching right from start to finish, um, which you know it wasn't necessarily the greatest game of football um, that's ever been played, yeah. but just really engrossing. And you you know you didn't know which way it was going to go. And then the golden goal uh, from David Trezeguet. I mean, Will Todd straight away the, the equaliser, 93rd minute to uh, to take it into extra time. Um, and then you know big uh, big David Trezeguet with the winner, sensational. Talk about drama, talk about drama, and Robert yeah. Pires as well. You know in that uh, extra time, so he'd come on very very late in the game. He came on 86th minute. It was. Uh, and then fresh. No. Yeah, it's never really a start. It's odd that it's never really was deemed a start for France for a long time. Excuse me, and. Um... But I mean, I, this French team for me, I, I just remember what, watching them and thinking, I wish the teams I supported played football this well. And I know that sounds like really silly, but they defended so tidily for an international team as a defensive unit. They defended so well, and every time Zidane got on the ball, especially in that Euro two thousand, it was exciting because he would pick a pass. And he could drift past people. He, for a, such a tall man with humongous feet, size 12 <laughs> feet, um, and he just drifts through people. It's like watching someone play canoes on their feet. But he, he, he was so graceful. And this French team really were, they, they were the best kind of footballing team, international team for sure, that I, I, I watched. And, and I really enjoyed watching them. Um, mm, and it, it was a real shame when it all fell apart for them in 2002, 2004. And Clark coming into the squad as well. He should have gone I mean, on longer. It, I mean, with Vieira in midfield as well. I mean, the... yeah, I mean, it's a heat. Yeah, he but he's in, in the late. 2002 squad, he was really having not been in the, uh, either of the previous uh, two. Jibril Cisse uh, had replaced Anelka, which perhaps you know, gives you some idea of why it didn't uh, yeah, why it didn't go overly well. Uh, Mikel Silvestre. Alan Bogossian got himself back in the squad, having missed out on Euro 2000. <laughs> yeah. uh, he got himself back in. Again, desperate for a playmaker, weren't they, you see? But it, it, it's a it's a sad sad thing that they aren't remembered like they should have been, um, and that Spain team really have taken the shine off because they did did what was an amazing thing yeah, to win three tournaments in a to row, win, you know World Cup Euro Championships. That was an amazing feat. Um, and then Spain just came and and did it better, didn't they? And and if I'm honest, if I could watch either team play football, I'd rather watch the French team. They. Spain for all their possession without the um and and they were basically they they'll be remembered because of the Barcelona trio in midfield um but actually that trio lacked the finishing product without having Messi there and I'm happy to say it they yeah, they, but I they, they a lot no, of their I love games that Spanish team I love watching watch that things. Spanish team death by attrition um, I mean watching football I, I pretty pre- reasonable that, point, I think. I, I think there are very few people would argue the with you there. Yeah, I think very few people would argue with that. But uh, if I'm on, and, and Vieira midfield and on the ball, and Djorkaev doing clever little bits, um, I, I find that far more exciting than. Um, look, Spain, great team, no doubt about it. Hey, but David Vieira and Fernando forward. Torres, when you're playing that was all right front, when they were getting themselves involved. It's just not okay. I, 
that was fine. That was fine. But they very rarely, like they, they often weren't. And and poor, um, I mean, Darren Villa. Uh, we've, uh, we've drifted into a, a whole different era. Watching him play <laughs> on the wing for Barcelona was painful. <laughs> we have. We have. Sorry. I, I can't help myself sometimes. It's, it's frustrating. But, um, but yeah, I mean, really, we have to summarise by just saying that this was an iconic team. And we aren't always going to be talking about the winners. We're talking about icons. And this France team, they were an icon. Um, and, and they were culturally impactful. And that is still one of my favourite shirts. <laughs> this France team, let nothing be taken away from their achievements. <laughs> to win it's this tournament with Gavash up front is... <laughs> to start a World Cup final with Marie on the bench and to not bring him off the bench and win 3-0 against Brazil is just staggering. Trezeguet mm. also didn't make it off the bench. They brought on Borcosian, Dugarie yeah. and Vieira. And I know that's probably because of the Desai red card. But they won this... They get, but they finished this World Cup without either of their starting centre backs, and a very worthy. And they didn't have on uh, a very worthy well. first team for us to pick on here. But now, Kieran, I want to say thank you today for um, joining me, and I hope that we can do a second episode very soon. Um, uh, for all fans listening out there, we've also got a little bit of piece on uh, Kieran's uh, kind of supporting history that's due to come on uh, our site very soon as well. I'm just editing that at the moment. If you are interested in uh, the history of Brighton <laughs> Football Club, which is uh, Kieran's life and passion, sometimes I wonder, um, then it's a real, real good quality listen. Um... So that was the Football Throwback Podcast. I hope you enjoyed our journey down memory lane. I was your host, Michael Faraday, and my guest was Kieran Fuller. We both wish to thank you for listening and look forward to you joining us in future episodes. From all of us here at FTP, stay safe. Toodaloo.